Coming to you from the ugliest building in the Gulch, it's the Nashville Scenecast. I'm scene editor D. Patrick Rogers. If you like us, subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Rate us and leave comments. We'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks to Jeff the Brotherhood for providing our intro music, Diamond Way, from the album We Are the Champions. And thanks to scene intern Jason Saita, who cuts together all of our episodes. On May 1st, Nashville will conclude one of the most significant public referendums it has ever held on the most expensive municipal project the city has ever proposed, a citywide transit overhaul. The initiative, called Let's Move Nashville, includes upgrades in the bus system and the building of light rail on the city's major corridors. The plan also includes a tunnel to be dug beneath downtown from Charlotte Avenue to Sobro. Part of the plan to pay for Let's Move Nashville is four tax increases, sales, hotel occupancy tax, business, and rental car tax. In this week's issue of The Scene, staffers Stephen Hale and Stephen Elliott highlight the cases for and against the passage of the transit initiative. Also in the cover package, Stephen Elliott runs through some of the primaries on the ballot, among them the offices for sheriff, public defender, register of deeds, and county clerk. Today on The Scene Cast, Hale and Elliott join me to talk transit. Okay, I have here with me in studio, Mr. Stephen Elliott, Nashville Scene Staffer and Nashville Post Staffer. Hey, Stephen. Hello. And over the line, Stephen Hale, Nashville Scene Staffer. Hey, Stephen. Hey there, guys. So I got my two Stevens. I might refer to you guys by your last name to avoid confusion. Um, between two Steves. Between two Steves, yeah. That's a... Uh, I think we got a new name for the podcast there. Okay, so this week our cover package is on transit, or the headline on the cover is, in fact, transit, with an exclamation point, uh, where, of course, we walk through sort of the good faith arguments for and against the transit plan that will be on the May 1st ballot, um, which is also now open for early voting. We also kind of run through everything else that will be on the ballot as well. Um, And for the package, Stephen Hale uh, wrote a story on, on the case for transit and the initiative, whereas Stephen Elliott wrote a piece on the good faith arguments against it. So I wanted to start with Stephen Hale um, and and your piece. You talked to a couple of people for it, correct? Yes. Um, I spoke with Freddie O'Connell, who's a Metro Council member, uh, represents downtown and, and uh, parts of North Nashville, and also Aaron Hafenshiel, who is the director of uh Sustainability and Transportation in the Mayor's Office. I hope I'm not getting that title wrong. Transportation's involved. Uh, She's been right in the middle of all this planning. And so she seemed like a good person to talk to. I talked to Freddie O'Connell. Some people will know that I interviewed him a while back for a a story in the scene about transit, too. But I just, I talked to him again because he's been, he's been working on transit issues for years as a citizen, as a um, board member at MTA and as a council member, and he really cares about this stuff. And I just kind of thought, you know, if I were telling someone I knew who to talk to about this, I would I would name him. So I talked to him again. Um, and so I kind of just asked them, you know, basically to give me their pitch for this uh, transit plan and then tried to talk to them a little bit about some of the objections that have come up just to see sort of how they responded to those. Um, I think maybe the best way to summarize it is that there's sort of the general pitch, which is we have to do something. We have to invest in transit. And this is, I mean, the kind of thing that people are probably rolling their eyes about because it's, in a way, it's sort of obvious. And there aren't really many people who are saying we don't need to do something. Even the people who might 
honestly think that we shouldn't do this. No one really says that out loud. There's not really many people that are saying, let's just not do anything on transit. So in a way, that's sort of a uni argument. But that's sort of the starting point. And then from there, it's why is this the thing? And I think both of them in the in the piece and in my conversations with them talked about how they saw this as, one, this is – the basics of this plan came out of the in-motion planning process, which was the MTA – a strategic plan planning process that had all these public meetings mm-hmm. and in theory tried to gather as much public input as they could. Freddie O'Connell told me that uh, the in motion process and the national next process, which is also a community planning process over a few years collected more public input than any other public planning process in the city's history. And so based on that, they feel confident saying the plan that we're presenting to you is our best sort of, version of what came out of those conversations with citizens and what they wanted. Um, that that process revealed a preference among participants for light rail. And so they said, you know, that's why light rail is is in the plan. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit when it's with my fellow Stephen, but for his piece, but, you know, one of the objections has been, or at least one of the questions that's come up has been, why not, why do light rail, which is so expensive, as opposed to bus rapid transit or some other option? And what, what Freddie and, and Aaron both said in their own way was sort of that they see this as, in a way, and Aaron Hapkinshill in particular said this specifically, she said this is a middle ground plan, that this plan has some light rail, it has some bus, bus rapid transit, it has some local bus service, um, there's some money for sidewalks. There's, so they see this as a middle ground between the people who say we shouldn't be doing light rail and some people who Aaron Hapkinshill told me ask her why we're not doing more light rail. Mm-hmm. So um, I hope that makes some sense. That's sort of their general pitch, and that's what I tried to get across in the story. There are obviously a lot of different pieces of this plan, and so there's kind of a lot of different angles to come at it from. Um, and maybe we can talk about some more of those, but that's it, that's it in general. Right. And, and as you say, it's sort of ostensibly their angle was that, you know, with the years-long in-motion uh, process that they sort of fielded you know, the needs of, of you know, or, yeah, or the tough, input right? of people all over the city. Right. It's tough because obviously some people, and I've talked to people like this, who say, well, I, I didn't go to those meetings. I, this plan just popped out of nowhere. You know, it, it's hard because um, in one sense, that's that's true. There are a lot of people who would be play, paying for this plan who didn't go to some meeting to talk about it, but there are quite a few people who did. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing just to, to note is that, you know, there's been all this discussion about the plan, and I think that's for good reason because people want to know what they might be paying for. But you know what people will be voting on is actually just the mechanism to fund that plan. Right. And there's there's been some conversation about that too, um, and I touched on it a little in my piece. People have, and actually both conservatives and more liberal progressive folks have had some concerns about using the sales tax mm-hmm. to in part to fund this plan because, uh, you know, for conservative folks, they've been talking about this raises taxes and something that conservatives are, are never thrilled about. And then for, for progressive folks, they've been talking about the sales taxes, pretty regressive. It disproportionately affects um, lower income folks. And there's some concern about using that to finance this big transit plan. Um, and I asked, uh, Freddie in particular about that, and I've asked some other people about that. I mean, basically their answer is 
know, the taxes they chose, and we list them in the piece, they include sales tax, but also rental car tax and hotel tax. Mm -hmm. and, um, I think the thing, they're thinking, or at least their argument is that these are taxes that um, are paid, a large portion of them are paid by people who don't live here, tourists, um, people coming in, in to Nashville from outside of the city. Right. And also, you know, they point out that the state legislature has um, lowered the tax on food in recent years, and so that even with this surcharge bringing the sales tax up a little, that your average Nashvilleian has a relatively low tax burden. That's that's kind of their pitch on that. And right. the and the state legislature in passing the Improve Act, um, which is what gave Nashville the ability to put this forward, was very specific in prescribing what could be used to raise funds. So the they weren't at will to do whatever they wanted, uh, raise whichever taxes they wanted at whatever rate they wanted mm -hmm. um, to fund this transit plan. They were kind of, in a way, hamstrung by the Improve Act. I see. Right. Um, and then uh, the in-motion process came up in some of my conversations as well. Um, in, in particular, I spoke with Angie Henderson, who's a council member from Green Hills and um, Bell Mead. And she said, yes, I was... I was part of those conversations. Um, a lot of people were, and if if someone were to come up to you and ask, "Hey, do you want this uh, really great thing, light rail?" Then your natural reaction, if you're a fan of Nashville, would be to say yes. Mm -hmm. um, and and that's not really the the realistic consideration of the practical things required to make that happen. And so now we're considering the practical things when we're deciding whether to raise taxes for it. Uh, how long we're going to be, you know, have those taxes. Uh, so it's easy to say in a, in a survey, yeah, yeah, uh, light rail would be great, but now we actually have to decide whether we can pay for it, how long it'll take. Right. Mm -hmm. And, of course, one thing that sort of, you know, raises the hackles of some is, is how much it increases our sales tax, too, mm -hmm. which is already somewhat high. Of course, the state doesn't have an income tax, and that's a factor in all of this. But that is something that I, I think you get into sure. a little bit in your yeah, piece. Right and, and actually, the, some of the, the really loud transit opponents are right that once the sales tax is increased by, in 2023 mm -hmm. uh, to its full extent under this plan, Nashville will have the highest or tied for the highest sales tax. Which is 10.25 in total. Okay. Uh, and now, and, and, and so what? One thing people say is, uh, some of the proponents of the plan say, if we need to to raise more money to to pay for schools or whatever it is down the line, we're still allowed to do that. Mm -hmm. And the obvious reaction from some of the people I spoke with is, yes, you are statutorily allowed to raise the taxes further, but there is a there is a kind of a natural threshold where you can't raise sales tax that much more. Mm -hmm. And so this is right. a big chunk of that, I guess. Sure. Yeah, there's, uh, there's a difference between how high you can legally raise it and how high the voters will let you raise right, right before there's intense right. pushback. Um, and it's also worth notice, noting in this uh, issue, not in our cover package, but in the issue, we have a piece from contributor Steve Cavendish about... A third some, Steve. A, th a third Steve, between three Steves, if you will, <laughs> um, on sort of the dark money funding some of the anti-transit camp, of course, uh, where that money 
you know, may be coming from and the organization through which it's funneled in order to keep it dark. A really fascinating piece, a bit of analysis from Steve Cavendish. But Stephen Elliott, your piece focuses on what we kind of refer to as the good faith effort to to put out the anti-transit message. Sort right. of different groups than well, the no the, tax for tracks right. folks. No tax for tracks is kind of the most visible group out there campaigning against uh, this plan. Mm-hmm. And they're the ones that Steve Cavendish wrote about, that right. most of their money has come from a group that's unclear where that money is actually really coming from. Mm-hmm. And so kind of as a contrast, I spoke with some of these council members who aren't affiliated with that group and who uh, aren't being paid spokesmen, which has been one criticism of the No Tax for Tracks people. You know, how seriously do you take those criticisms when they're being paid to to give them? Right. Uh, So that as I just said, I spoke with Angie Henderson, who's a council member, and uh, John Cooper, who's another council member. Um, He's one who you would probably, if you watch Metro Politics, you probably would expect to be on this side, Mm -hmm. voting against it. But, um, you know, he's always... He's always prepared with his uh, his research and uh, got all his numbers and big bulging file folders and everything. You might but, call uh, him a wonk. Yes, yes, you <laughs> might. I think actually Stephen Hale wrote a story with that maybe a headline along those lines about John Cooper yes. a while back. Um, and then also Dave Rosenberg, who's uh, another council member. And the three of them, particularly Rosenberg and Henderson, were... Um, kind of in lockstep, and I didn't speak to them at the same time. I don't mm-hmm. know that they've coordinated or anything, but they they seem to say the same thing, which was, uh, well, a few of the same things. One, we can fund a uh, better bus system, um, a more robust bus system right now um, with a, a smaller increase in taxes, and we could do it immediately, mm-hmm. whereas build out of a, a five- Sp- uh, five-way light rail system would take years and years and years. Not to mention the tunnel, of course. And the tunnel, yeah. yeah. Um, so they say this is the easiest, quickest um, way to solve a problem that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another thing that Angie Henderson said is maybe one day we could have light rail, and she doesn't think we have the density for it now, which is something that a lot of people have said. Um but let's say 10 or 15 years from now, we think that that's appropriate. Maybe the first line goes um, up Gallatin or to the airport or mm-hmm. one of those routes that have been proposed. Well, she says, why don't we build that one, fund that one, and see if it works? And if it's a massive failure, mm-hmm. then we are not stuck with funding the other four. Right. So our argument is, if we were to try this, let's try it incrementally. Right. And, see, and not only that, but see which um, parts of town are best served by it. Because there's been some question of that, too, with these you know, corridors that we've got, which ones are the ones, you know, that are going to do well, which ones won't. So Henderson kind of argues, let's try this thing out before going full bore into it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let me let me just jump in here and, and say, because something Stephen is referencing about what some of the opponents said makes me think of something that the proponents have been saying, and I, I just should clarify for people listening if it's been confusing me. We're we're trying to sort of relay what the two arguments are. Um, you know, I just for this full disclosure, really am not even sure where I would be on this. I think it's a pretty difficult call, and there's actually some pretty compelling arguments either way. But um, but I, you know, Stephen mentioned that uh, Dave Rosenberg and Angie Henderson were talking about, you know, next year, this year we could 
for relatively cheap, you could really improve our bus system. Um, one of the things that the proponents of this plan say is, or, or that they highlight, I say, I should say, in the plan, is that while the light rail portions, of course, take pretty long uh, to build out, that there are improvements to local bus service in the plan uh, right away. So it's starting, um, I guess, starting later this year, they would extend the service hours of local buses, and then next year they would run more frequently. Um, and so they, they're kind of pushing that too. You know, it's interesting. There's, they kind of have multi-prong. I mean, if, if the light rail bothers you, they'll tell you, well, look, there are going to be immediate improvements that you will notice right away. Mm-hmm. And if, if, if that doesn't impress you, then they're like, well, look, we got big light rail. Of course, the, you know, the response, of course, from people like Rosenberg and Henderson is, well, yeah, we can, those improvements are great, but we could get them without the giant price tag of getting everything else. Right. Um, so that's kind of the debate, but it is interesting. The other thing I just wanted to add in the mix here is we, we've been talking about bus rapid transit and sort of alternatives to light rail. Um, one thing that the proponents of the plan have really been hammering on and trying to trying to tell people, and one big way they respond to the BRT question is the state legislature, in its effort, successful effort to kill the last attempt at, at mass transit, uh, Carl Dean's AMP, they passed legislation that means that for Nashville to implement a bus rapid transit route, which for people who don't know, bus rapid transit, it's uh they call it it's like they call it a subway on wheels. It's it's a, a long bus but it has a dedicated lane. So you're not in traffic. Mm-hmm. But in order to do that, according to state law now, in order to do that, if it's on a state road, you have to get approval from the state legislature. And so proponents of this plan say BRT is great, but can we really be sure that we would get that approval? That is supermajority Republicans mm-hmm. and has been hostile to this kind of thing before. So they sort of say like, look, light rail is, they have arguments for why light rail is good anyway, but they also say that that alternative isn't super realistic. So mm-hmm. that's where they're coming from on that. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think maybe we should mention what would happen if this doesn't pass. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Because under that state law, the city would have to wait 12 months before proposing another plan. And that's one thing that a lot of um, opponents of this plan will say. It's well, we got to be quick and come up with a plan B or come up with our the, the next idea. But they would have to wait a, a year to put it on the ballot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, so if it fails on May 1st, then that's kind of what we're looking at. And I think they're – I don't know – have you heard anything, Stephen Hale, about what would uh, what people would be pushing for if this were to fail, and how soon after? You know, I I, I haven't, and that's one of the things that I think um, is interesting. I mean, I think more what I've heard is from some people who are opponents who say what they will do if it passes. I know um, there's a group, and we make reference to them in in your piece, Stephen, but there's a group. Uh, called PASS that we've interviewed before on the scene, Mm -hmm. they're pushing for um, a community benefits agreement, which is something that sometimes you get attached to to a a big development project like this that guarantees it will include certain things. So, and it it can vary, but it would say it would 
mandate certain percentage of affordable housing or diversity in hiring or in contracts and things like that. The other thing is we have this mayoral race going on here in the next few weeks. You know, it'll be going on for a few weeks after the transit vote, but also going on right now. And most of those candidates have come out against this plan. So if it fails, they're going to have to kind of say something about what they want to do now. Yeah. And it seems like that's the only issue any mayoral candidates have said anything about is I'm pro-transit, as David Bradley, the current mayor, has said, mm-hmm. or I'm against it, as the rest of the field has The rest said. of the field has yeah. said. Gilmore and so, love. you know, w- what happens on May 1st will drastically change what they say, I guess. Right. Well, and um, and speaking of you know the ballot, that's transit. Of course, has grabbed most of the spotlight, but that's not the only thing that's going to be on the ballot. Stephen Elliott, as part of this cover package, also put together uh, sort of a list of what else we're looking at, um, which is the primaries. But as you kind of explain, it almost functions as the general elections because. Right. Yeah, there's there's 12, I think it's a dozen uh, other races on this ballot. Uh, and they are primaries, but in this particular case, no Republicans qualified for any of these positions. So mm-hmm. whoever wins, uh, I guess, in, would, would, would win that job. And there are a lot of obscure things that you might not know about, and we might not know about, what they do on a daily basis. But uh, some of the more high-profile ones are Sheriff, where Darren Hall, who's been Sheriff since 2002, is up against um, someone, Kenny Hardy, who's run against him before unsuccessfully. Um, And then Howard Gentry, the former vice mayor, former mayoral candidate, he is the criminal court clerk. He has an opposition. And Stephen Murph, who's a, a longtime court administrator and here and elsewhere. Um, and then Martisha Johnson is unopposed to become a public defender taking over for Don Diener. Um, and those are kind of some of the more high profile ones. There's, uh, like I said, a dozen, including um, four judgeships. And some of those are, are kind of interesting because the Metro Council gets a little bit of grief whenever there's a, a vacancy on a local court. They always seem to appoint one of their own members to that position. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the last year, there were two of those. That was um, Nick Leonardo, who was appointed to a General Sessions seat, as well as Sam Coleman, uh, both members of council who were appointed to vacant seats. And they're both up for election to full terms, and they have both multiple um, multiple people running against them. So it'll be interesting to see if these council members put on put on the bench will be able to keep their jobs. Mm-hmm. I mean, and obviously they, you know, they face, you know, uh, some of them, multiple candidates that, you know, could split the field or who knows. It's really hard to tell in these races. Uh, you, it, we, we cite the Nashville Bar Association's polls, but some people don't take those too seriously, mm-hmm. particularly the Metro Council, who often will appoint the opposite of whoever the Bar Association uh, recommends. But... It's, it's really hard to tell in these races. They're kind of a toss-up sometimes, and, right. and, and turnout could be pretty low. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's hard to, it's hard to know who, what, what you're voting for, who you're voting for, right. who these people are. Yeah. And I think, you know, with issues of ballot literacy, you're going to get a lot of people out to the polls who are there to vote on the transit initiative and then maybe not sure what it is they're looking at, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then, of course, with this being the primary, then whoever it is that wins this will be on the general and then... Yeah. Right, you know, unless you got a write-in, 
coming in strong, <laughs> you're probably pretty pretty much know who the winner is. I believe uh, there's one other position that's. Uh, oh yes, uh, Register of Deeds is uh, vacant. Let's see, Register of Deeds is vacant for the first time since 1998. <laughs> uh, Bill Garrett is not running for re-election. And so that's a that's a pretty good job in yeah. Nashville. Got to register those deeds somehow. Someone's got to register the deeds. Uh, someone's got to register the deeds good. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, deeds, you know, when someone buys a property that, that's recorded in the official record, and that's kind of the job of the, the register of deeds. And so um, a Metro Council member, Karen Johnson, is running for the seat. Uh, Richard Exton, who's a real estate appraiser, is running for the seat. Pam Murray a former Metro Council member who was recalled back in 2009. That's kind right. of a, She was living elsewhere, apparently. In Michigan, right? And Yeah. This is a strange case. So there's there's a lot of people in this race, but also um, our friend, scene friend, J.R. Lind, who um, no longer writes for the scene, but uh, is still a man about town. He, he's been <laughs> kind of, uh, he's been mounting this, this uh, I call it a quixotic uh, Twitter Twitter bid for the seat. So uh, I don't know. He might get a few write-in votes. I don't know. Who knows? Mr. Deeds, J.R. <laughs> Lind. Um, okay. Well, thanks, guys, for joining me. I mean, obviously, we couldn't cover everything here that we did in the cover package. Um, if, if you're interested in picking that up, visit NashvilleScene.com or find it around town where we dig in a little bit more both on the cases for and against transit. Um, and, uh, and all the things that we didn't cover here. Just pick that up and check it out. Uh, thanks to both Stevens for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you.